Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. This whole series has been about us understanding that every single page in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. It's all pointing towards Jesus, that everything in the Scriptures and, and, and in what God has done and in all the Old Testament accounts and, and, and all the poetry and the wisdom and everything that's written is ultimately pointing directly to what God would do through His Son, Jesus, how He is the key to Scripture and the key to life and the hermeneutical key to, that helps us understand what the Bible is about. When you don't know that, when you don't see the centrality of Jesus— in the scriptures, then you end up rifling through this book, looking for principles to try and live by in your own strength, and it just leads us to disillusionment, it just leads us to discouragement, because we understand when we try to be really good, when we try to follow the principles and the rules and all the things in the Bible, that's when we quickly learn that we fall short, that we don't have what it takes, that we cannot serve God in our own strength, and that we really need Jesus. That's why the law is there, the law is there to kill us to show us that we don't have what it takes to end all human endeavor towards righteousness and to say, can you understand now that you need Jesus? And that's what the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, that even the law was a tutor bringing us to faith in Christ. And now that we're under Christ, we're no longer under that tutor. And so if you don't understand that the Bible is pointing you towards, beyond yourself, towards Jesus, then you become discouraged in your own strength because you will fail. And I went on this journey for many years, this cycle of failing and then repenting and then promising. Have you done that? The failing, repenting, promising. So you mess up and then you repent. God, I'm so sorry, God. I just want to serve you, God. I promise you, God. Then it's the promise. I promise you, God, I'll never do this again, God. And if you just give me one more chance, God, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to sin again and I'm never going to. And, and then you fail again and you go back to step one and your life just becomes this cycle. And God wants us to break free from that cycle and break free from this constant consciousness of sin by understanding our righteousness and the finished work of the cross, which leads us, ultimately, that's the key that unlocks the ability for us to actually live the holy lives that we desire to live. And I've now already said a lot in like three seconds there, so I hope you caught all of that. Um, but we looked at the Old Testament. If you're visiting with us, um, all those messages are online, available on our website, anchorjoburg.org, and on our SoundCloud account, and on iTunes as well. We have a podcast, so you can search Anchor Church Joburg, and you'll find everything there. But we've been looking at, at Jesus in the stories and in the accounts of the Old Testament, and we've looked at Abraham and Isaac, and we've looked at Jonah, we've looked at, the, at Noah and the ark, uh, we've looked at Cain and Abel, and how um, you know Abel points us towards Jesus. We've looked at um, the snake in the wilderness, and we've looked at the fourth man in the fire, and we looked at the blood of Jesus and the Passover lamb, and all these accounts, and honestly, we could have gone on with the stories of Joshua and the stories of David and the tabernacle and, and manna from heaven in the wilderness and the rock that was struck in the desert, and we could just go on and on and on. In fact, I nearly extended this um, series by one more week um, because I really wanted to do the rock in the desert that Moses struck and the water flowed forth from it, and it's just such a beautiful picture of Jesus. But all of this, all of these are pictures of Jesus and point us towards Him. Um, I love what, what Tim Keller said, and I'm just going to read this to you this morning um, because it just summarizes what we've been speaking about. It says, he says, Jesus is the true and better Adam 
who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has, has blood that, now cr that cries out not for our condemnation but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking up his own son up the mountain and sacrificing him and saying, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who, struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocence, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's really not about you, it's about him. It's really not about you, it's about him. Can we just give Jesus just a shout of praise this morning? Come on. So today, I'm going to conclude the series, and I'm going to look at something a little bit different. We're going to go to the New Testament today, and I want to share a message with you entitled, The Letter of God, The Letter of God. And uh, we're going to start off in 2 Corinthians 3, and uh, it's just such a beautiful portion of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, and, um, and we're going to read this together. It says, clearly, everybody say clearly. Well, we can do that more clearly this morning. Clearly. Clearly you are a letter from Christ. Surely, clearly, truly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. How beautiful is that? This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Clearly you are the letter of Christ, the letter of God. Let's go ahead and pray this morning, and we're just going to get into this scripture. Lord, we thank you so much that you have written on our hearts, that you have, you have done something in our lives, Lord, that you have affected change and changed our story and, and, and written our lives. And we thank you, God, that, that we're still in the process of discovering the great things that you are writing with our lives, Lord. Thank you, God, that we get to be 
the vessels to whom, through whom you speak to this world, through whom you rouse this deaf world, Lord, through whom you, you awaken and activate people to their destiny and their calling, Lord. And we pray that you would cause our letter to be more clearly read by every person in this city, in this nation. And as we go forward, Lord, that people will truly see that God is amongst us because your work will be evident. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us and what you're doing through us. In your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever needed a letter of recommendation. Uh, in, in, in the past, perhaps when you were, when you were signing up for a, a university or for some college or, or when you were applying for a job uh, or even to immigrate. We often have this as pastors. People need letters of recommendation um, to, so that we can verify and confirm that this person is who they say they are or they can do what they say they can do. Um, if they've served in the community, they often need a letter of recommendation from us to say, this is a faithful member of our church and they can serve and they are passionate and they are faithful. And so oftentimes when you need a letter of recommendation, that letter ultimately says that I recommend this person. I recommend this person that this person is qualified to do something and other people can trust that they are who they say they are. Other people can trust that they know how to do something in particular or can add value in whatever institution they are joining or company they are joining. And this is so important because as people, we can often oversell ourselves, right? Have you ever oversold your own, your own abilities? Have you ever kind of gone ahead and promised that you could do something or, or guaranteed that you can do something except that you didn't really? And, and, and sometimes we do this just because we want to appear a little bit better than what we really are. And sometimes I even say to people, you know, say that you can do it and then quickly learn and, you know, just get the job, get the contract and then learn how to do it. That's not necessarily a bad idea always as long as you then learn how to do it. Um, but I've oftentimes in the past, I've, I've oversold myself and I've committed to knowing something or saying that I knew something that I didn't really know. And, uh, and it only ever really catches you out when people put you to the test on that. And I remember being on holiday with a couple of friends and some people, and, and um, the one person that I was friends with brought, um, you know, an, an extra friend along, and we were talking about movie directors, and I was talking about Ridley Scott, who's one of my favorite directors, I love the movies he's made, and, you know, and, and then he mentioned a director, and I can't even remember who the director was, um, and he was like, what about this director? And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I love him, but I had no clue. I had no clue. I oversold myself there. I was like, yeah, you know, you mentioned a director. Of course I know him. I'm educated, you know. I'm cultured. I know this stuff. And he was like, okay, cool. What's your favorite movie? And I was like, um, what, movie, what movies did he do? He's like, apparently I know this guy, but I have no idea what movies he did. And I just oversold myself in the moment. People do this when uh, they come for auditions for our, for our band. They, they sign up for the band. They're passionate about music. And then, you know, as a band, we have to have auditions. And then we find out they possibly oversold themselves just a little bit. You know, they were like, I've been playing music since I was a kid. We're like, this is, is going to be amazing. And then we quickly have to let them know that they need a little bit more training. You know, maybe a degree in music or a grade or something. And, um, and at least know the basics. But the idea of a letter of recommendation is that you are saying, that you are stating, this person is qualified. This person is qualified. And Paul is writing in this scripture. And what he says is, he says, we're qualified 
and God has done something in our lives, and we can speak into the situation, but it's not because we have a degree. It's not because we've studied a certain subject and we come here. We haven't arrived, he says in verse 1 of this chapter in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, we are not coming to you as some with letters of recommendation. We're not banking on all of our own qualifications to say, look at how well we've studied. Look at how much we've read the Bible. Look at how many things that we have done. Do you know how many people take their stand religiously and self-righteously because they know that they have perhaps prayed a lot or read a lot or studied a lot or, or, or have a degree in theology and all of a sudden they feel lifted up as, as, as um, Paul writes in, in the book of Colossians, he says, they're often puffed up by their sensuous pride. Their knowledge has puffed them up. And so the scriptures are talking about what really qualifies a person to represent God is not when they have all the knowledge in the world and they've been very religious and they have lived a life that looks like a religious or a pious life. He says, we're not coming to you and go, oh, look, you know, as, as, as a pastor, I stand before you today and let me just quickly throw my degree up on the screen here and you can see how hard I've studied and let me, let me give you all of my credentials and let me tell you all of the things that qualifies me to speak to you on behalf of God. Paul says we don't come with degrees. We don't come like some others have with letters of recommendation. What we have, what our letter of recommendation is, is these people that you see around you. It's the lives that have been changed because we were involved. That's how people will know that Anchor Church is recommended by God. Not when we can say we've, we've got all these accolades and all these awards and we've got all this learnedness, but when actual lives are being changed, that is the only letter of recommendation that we'll ever need. And in your life, the question is, and what God is saying is, if people looked at your life and looked at the effect of, the, of your life, do you have letters of recommendation? Do you have lives that have been changed? Because church, it's easy to come here on a Sunday. It's easy to sit and, and, and enjoy the worship and enjoy the coffee and you know, take part in the chip and win and win some gear or, or, or just come and enjoy the, you know, the space. But we are a community that goes beyond that because we're a community that has the heart of God for people. We love people. And so if you are truly a follower of Christ, if your faith is truly in Christ, the question is, do you have letters of recommendation? Do you have lives that have been changed because of your life? Are you encouraging somebody? Are you walking a journey with somebody? Are you speaking into somebody's life? Are you using what God has given you, whatever talent, whatever it looks like, whatever opportunity, whatever resource that you have, are you using it to make a difference in the lives of others? That is the evidence that you are in Christ. The first evidence is that your life is changing. Your life is developing. Your life is being shaped by God's grace. God loves us as we are. And we always tell people here at Anchor Church, come as you are. God meets us where we're at, but he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we're at. And the sign that somebody is on a genuine journey with God is that their lives begin to change. His grace begins to work. 
there is an effect of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that as we behold Him, as we look at Jesus, we are transformed from glory to glory into His image as by the work of the Holy Spirit. So the more you look at Jesus, the more you hear about Jesus, the more you hear the gospel, the more you hear the word and begin to trust in it, there is an internal change that happens in your life. And that's the only letter of recommendation that you'll ever need. That's the evidence that you are in Christ, that your life is changing and that the lives of people around you are changing. Now, I don't know if any of you here have ever been disqualified from something. Have you ever run a race in school or, or done something and you were disqualified? It's the, the, the worst feeling ever when you get disqualified. I remember running um, in a relay in athletics as, uh, you know, as a child in school. And in high school, I was running, and I remember coming around the bend, and my one foot stepped over the line, and our relay team won, only to find out that because I had stepped outside of the lane, I was disqualified, and our whole team was disqualified. It's a horrible feeling. And many of you have felt disqualified in your walk with God. Many of you have felt disqualified in the viability that you have to make a difference in the lives of others. And in other words, what people say is that pastors can make a difference, elders can make a difference, people who serve in church can make a difference, but not me. I can't really make a difference. I have got too many things wrong in my life, I've got too many issues, I've got too many doubts, I've got too many questions, I don't know if I'm there yet. And so many times, because of the things we struggle with and, and, and because of a lack of understanding in terms of our identity, we actually disqualify ourselves. Again, Colossians 2 says, do not let anyone disqualify you from the prize, taking their stand on visions they claim they have seen. Don't let people come and disqualify you for, from something that God has qualified you for. If God has qualified you, not a single person on this planet can disqualify you. I'm sure that you have, just like I have had, people that want to write you off, people that want to disqualify you. I've had my fair share. But what I realized is that nobody can disqualify me for the thing that God has qualified me for. Colossians 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us and made us fit to share in the inheritance of God's people. He has qualified us. He has made us fit. He is the one that, that recommends us on behalf of Jesus. And so you are fit, no matter who you are in this place today. If your faith is in Jesus, the Father himself has qualified you to share in the entire inheritance of God. And you know what is a part of that inheritance? Is the mission of God. You are a part of it. You are not on the outside. You are not excluded. You are welcome in this place. You are called and God's purpose is for your life. And don't you ever doubt that. Don't you ever doubt that. You know why people doubt it? They look at themselves. They say, I'm not worthy. But what the scripture says is God has made you worthy. He has made you fit to share in the inheritance of God's people. Every promise of God for his people is yours. In the past, we were disqualified by sin. 
The word sin actually means to miss the mark. It's an old archery term, which means that, that we missed the mark. We, we went off track, like that example of running outside of your lane in athletics. All of us ran outside the track. All of us went beyond God's boundaries for our lives. And all of us were disqualified at one time or another and could never do anything to qualify ourselves again. To make ourselves worthy of sharing in God's inheritance or make up for the sins we've committed. If you've run outside the lane, if you, you know this in athletics, if you've run outside the lane, there's nothing you can do to re-qualify yourself. There's nothing, you can't go back and say, I'm really sorry, it was just one foot. Is that okay? Can you guys just let it slide? We cannot do anything to qualify ourselves from the disqualification of sin. It's only God who qualifies us. It's what Jesus did for us that makes us right with God. And we see this in the life of Paul. And I love this scripture because Paul's, Paul was one of those guys who was decorated. I mean, he had spent his entire life, and if you know the Jewish customs and culture, from the time that he was a little boy, he was trained up. Little boys in that uh, culture at that time were trained to know the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, off by heart. Some of you still struggle with Genesis 1 verse 1. It's like in the something, something. You know, just like they had to know as children, they had to know the first five books of the Bible. And if they showed promise at the age of 12 or 13, they would then move on to the next step of their training. And at some point they would get a rabbi that would train them and walk with them. And the greatest rabbi in, in Jerusalem and in Israel at that time was Gamaliel. And Paul was a student of Gamaliel. And he was young and he was zealous and he was passionate. He talks about himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. And people knew this guy is going to be famous. We haven't seen a rabbi of his likes. And he is being trained by Gamaliel himself. He is on a one-way track to being the greatest rabbi in history the greatest Pharisee in history. He is, he is in, according to the law, he is near perfect. He's devoted his entire life to this understanding of the law and this commitment to the law and to the following of, of the interpretations of the law according to the rabbis of that time. He was one of those that you're like, how could anybody live up to this kind of a standard at that time known as Saul? And he is passionate when he hears that there is a church going around. There is a group, there is a sect of Judaism going around saying, you know what? You don't have to know the Torah off by heart. You don't have to follow the laws in order to be accepted. That there's this thing called grace. And where God has done for you what you could not do for yourself and all you need to do is receive it as a free gift and be declared righteous instantly. That was offensive. In fact, every time people mentioned it, including Paul later on in his life, the Sanhedrin and, the, and, and the, the religious people of the day would slap them in the mouth and call them blasphemers. How dare you come and share this scandalous message of grace? And so Paul is incredibly upset about this message that is being, going around, that is, that is taking root in the, that area of Judea and Samaria. And he goes around, he gets letters from the Sanhedrin, and he goes around persecuting these Christians to put an end to all of this nonsense. Only to meet Jesus face to face himself on the road to Damascus. Only for him to discover God's grace himself. 
only for him to begin to understand the depth of God's love and how Jesus has truly fulfilled the law on our behalf. This amazing thing happens later on. Paul writes and he says, I count everything that I had, every moment that I spent studying and all the accolades that I had, had, had racked up in my own strength, I count them all as rubbish for the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ. No more accolades that account. I don't stand in front of you today and say, I'm up on stage with this microphone because I have earned the right, because I've lived such a great Christian life. No, anything that I have done is by the grace of God. And only by His grace. And only God can get the glory. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I once preached the message on the scripture when I was a youth pastor. And I had a, a trophy that I won playing soccer in school. And I brought the trophy up and I snapped the trophy in half. And I threw it down and I said, I don't have trophies anymore. I'm just a trophy of grace. A little bit extreme, but I was trying to make a point and I can't do it this morning because I already broke that trophy. But the picture is the same. In Revelation, we saw that the elders who sit around the throne, every time they look at Jesus, they take off their crowns and they cast it before the throne because he's the only one who deserves the glory. Paul goes, I count it all as rubbish. It's rubbish. And it's actually a very much stronger word than rubbish there, but... I'll save you the graphic image that, that Paul is using, but it, it, he's talking about dirty rags. Dirty rags. I cast it as, that, that's what it means to me, so that I can have one thing. I only stand by the qualification of Jesus in my life. How much time, how much effort, how much stress, how much money, do we spend trying to win or earn our worth? Trying to be accepted by others, trying to prove to people that we have something to give, that we are something in this world. Think about how much money and time we would save if we could simply settle it today that we are qualified by Jesus and by His grace alone. Think about how many more true friendships we would have. You know how many friendships are hindered by people trying to prove that there is something? Trying to win over the love of others. Imagine if we could all just be ourselves. Just be yourself. Because you already know that you are loved and accepted and qualified. So Paul says, I've counted all my other qualifications as rubbish. And many people, and I know this as a part, as a pastor, many people feel unworthy of serving God. They feel unworthy of getting involved in church. They feel unworthy of, of, of representing Christ because they don't have a degree in theology and they haven't been to Bible school and they still have sins that they struggle with. And that is why the story and these stories of, of these pictures of Jesus from the Old Testament are so powerful because we look at somebody like Abraham who lied to Pharaoh about his wife and called it his sister in case Pharaoh wanted to harm him because she was beautiful. He questioned God at one point when God had made a promise to him that he would have a child and he said, oh God, uh, you know, what will you give me? Uh, you know, God says, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And he says, God, what will you give me? 
I don't even have a child. And he ended up taking the matter into his own hands and having a child with his wife's servant and then didn't take responsibility for the baby. That's Abraham, the father of faith. Jonah ran away from God, didn't want to obey God. And then he was angry when he listened to God and went and preached the gospel to the people in Nineveh and they repented and he's angry that God had grace upon them. Noah built himself a vineyard after coming off the ark. You know, there's always like chapter two of the story. God saves him. What's the first thing he does? He builds himself a vineyard and gets totally hammered, gets completely drunk. And then he curses his son who is trying to cover up his nakedness. Samson had an eye for the ladies, ends up sleeping with Delilah, and ends up compromising his own walk as a judge in Israel. David had the same issue. He watched a woman take a bath, and it was one of, David had a couple of men that fought with him known as David's mighty men. And this woman who was taking a bath on the roof across from where, where he was, was one of his mighty men's wives. And so he sends Uriah, one of his mighty men, one of his best friends, one of his protectors to the front line to be killed so that he could have his wife. And he did, and he took her. Moses committed murder and then ran away and then stayed away in the desert. And when God eventually called him, he was afraid to do what God called him to do. And we could go on. We could talk about Gideon. We can talk about all the, the Old Testament people and the mistakes and the faults and the flaws and the imperfections and the outright sins that they committed. But what we see is that the truth is, is that no one is ever qualified to do what God calls them to do. That is a liberating fact. Adrian, are you qualified to lead Anchor Church? Absolutely not. In my own strength, absolutely not. Are any of us qualified to fulfill the call of God in our lives? Absolutely not. But in Christ, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of God, God chooses the weak to confound the wise. When he chose his disciples, he didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't pick the Pharisees. He went to the shore of the Sea of Galilee and picked some fishermen instead of priests. Guys that didn't make it to round two of the training you only became a fisherman if you didn't show any promise in your early years of learning. And most of Jesus' disciples fall into that category. They didn't make the cut, but they're the ones that Jesus chose. God is the one who qualifies by his grace. Listen to what Paul says about himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10, he says, he says, I'm not worthy of being called an apostle. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on to say, and I've worked harder than all the other apostles, although it wasn't me, but the grace of God that was with me. So not only does God's grace call you and qualify you, but it drives you. It pushes you. It motivates you. It leads you into everything that God has for you to do. But even when we work hard, we work hard by the grace of God. So if you've ever felt unworthy, who am I that God would use me? The truth is that all of us are unworthy. None of us could be worthy 
And the only reason we can do this is because Jesus is our worth. And in him, we are qualified and accepted. And this is God's plan for all of us. We see it in Ephesians 2 verse 8. I'm going to, my final scripture this morning, two, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. He goes, he wants you to know, this is not your own doing. This is not because you earned it. This is not because you're worthy. It's not because you're good enough. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in God, in Christ, for good works, that we should walk in them. So God has prepared good works for you. A purpose. A plan. A destiny. A difference to be made. Every single person in this room that has a relationship with Christ, the reason why God has saved you is because He has good works for you to walk in. Things that He planned for you beforehand for each of us. And by grace, He will lead us to fulfill them. I want to encourage you this morning to trust in God to work in you by His grace. We've looked at many stories of, of these Old Testament guys and how, though imperfect, God used them to do mighty things. And my question to you this morning is, what is your story? What will people say about your life when you are done? What will the letter of your life that God is writing say? What will people read through your history and through your, your life? Absolutely none of us will say it was a perfect journey. We were perfect, and that's why God used us. We are all trophies of God's grace. It's not a story of how good we are or how much we overcame or how well we can do things. Just like in these other stories that we've looked at, the story is about how weak we are, how many times we have messed up, how broken we all are, and how God loved us in spite of our brokenness, picked us by His grace, forgave us, qualified us, and is now using us. That is the journey for all of us. That is the story. You are a picture of Jesus. You are a picture of Jesus. And this church is a picture of Jesus. It's a dream that somebody once had about our ministry and shared with me like a prophetic vision that I've always held on to about how every single one of us are working here at building an image and, and a picture. And in this dream the person had, it was like a massive puzzle that was being built by the church. And when it was lifted up, it was the face of Jesus. Each of us, a puzzle piece. And when we come together with God's grace and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives, we lift up that picture, and what do, does the world see when it looks at a community of people of faith? It doesn't see us. It doesn't see our own goodness. It sees Jesus. We are a picture of Jesus. Our community is a picture of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that your life needs to be perfect. It means that the God who saved us is perfect. And so we can be honest with people and give them hope. God wanted to write this world a love letter. 
And he sent his son as a love letter to this world to declare his love. And then Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. You and I are a letter of God to this world. We are a picture of Jesus. And even though we have brokenness, God is using our lives to display his grace. So this is a place of authenticity. It's a place of honesty. It's a place of openness. We all have issues. We all have brokenness. But we all have a perfect Savior who can do miracles in your life. And people will look at your life and say, no way could they have done this for themselves. God must be involved. Your life is a testimony, and it is a picture of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Amen? Church, can we be the letter of God to our world? Can we invite some people to church? Can we speak into people's lives? Can we encourage and pray for and stand by and love people the way that Jesus does? Let's go ahead and do that this week as we show them the picture of Jesus. Let's pray together.